paid in full. It's an accounting term. Every sinful deed, everything we have done against His holy heart and His holy will, and everything we have not done, all the love we owed God that we do not give Him, all the words and deeds that are missing, Jesus paid for both our sins of commission and our sins of omission. What we have done that's been wrong and against the law of love and what we have failed to do that we should have. He paid it all. That's why he said, paid in full from the cross. We remember and proclaim what Isaiah tells us 700 years before Jesus took a breath on earth when he said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We remember and proclaim as Paul does in Ephesians 1, we have redemption. We're not hoping for it. We're not to mourn its loss. We have redemption. We're not to strive and fight, hoping that we can earn our way towards it. Paul says again, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And so Jesus says, I want you to know that. So take this bread and drink this cup because you have it. We remember and proclaim that in Christ, we're reconciled to God. We have peace with him. When you think of peace, you might think of a nice feeling. But I believe the New Testament writers meant at least in part of their explanation for what peace with God meant, the end of a war. Your feeling might come and go about Russia. <laughs> but today, you are not at war with Russia. And it makes a big difference because we could be. Whether you feel like you don't like Canada <laughs> is irrelevant to the fact that we are at peace with Canada. They are at peace with you. In a much more important and more loving way, whether your feelings about your relationship with God come or go are good or bad, Christ Jesus says, we are at peace. My father is not at war with you and you are not at war with me anymore. The enmity, the problems between us have been solved by my son. We are at peace because all that could cause war, all that could engender God being against us and God seeking out to destroy us because of our sin and all the enmity that we have for God that could offend his heart, all of that has been destroyed in the death of his son. And so God wants you to know when you pick up the bread and the juice, I'm at peace with you. We might have work to do. You will always have to grow until you see me face to face. But my son, my daughter, we're at peace. We're at peace. I'm going to bring tough stuff into your life to grow you. I'm going to bring blessings into your life to make you happy. I'm going to allow trials in your life that will make you sad. 
but we're at peace. We're at peace. God looks at you and you and I. He looks at me. He looks at you. And despite all our failings, he says, you're righteous in my son. In fact, he says more than this in Hebrews 10. We've talked about this. He says, we're perfect. You don't feel perfect. You don't look perfect. <laughs> the older you get, the less perfect you will look. But God's not talking about cosmetics. He's talking about your standing with him. He's talking about your sin debt. Things that have offended his holy love. He's taken it away. And he says, with regard to your sin debt towards me, you're perfect. Perfectly paid. And you stand righteous in my son. So Jesus wants you to remember that it is finished this morning. And also in the words that he uses in that first communion that night with his brothers, the disciples. Did you see what Jesus says? Look halfway through. I don't think you have the verse notation here, but it says in the same way. You see in the same way, see that phrase? Follow this line with me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus wants us to remember and proclaim the new covenant. The new covenant. And his disciples, their ears would have perked up, I hope, when they would have heard Jesus use that phrase, the new covenant. And maybe a few of them who were really biblically literate and knew Jeremiah really well, and knew Ezekiel really well, they would have said, oh, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for, for 700 years. A new covenant. When you will come and take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, when you will not merely write laws on stone tablets, but you'll write them on my heart. when you will give me a new spirit. Is that what's coming now? A new spirit within me? Because those were the promises of Ezekiel and Jeremiah about this new covenant. This was the new agreement God was going to make to replace the old agreement that was broken again and again and again and could not save the law, the commandments, good as they were, could not change the heart. They could only judge it. And so God said, we need a new covenant. We need a new agreement. This new covenant is not like the old covenant. The new covenant makes you a new creature. We remember and proclaim through the blood, through the blood and, the, and the body of Christ in this juice and in this bread that we're new. God has come and taken out our heart of stone. And listen, I, I know we're not finished yet. I know we all battle and struggle. But you are no longer deaf to God. You are no longer dead to God. And if you are in Christ, you can look over the months and the years of your life and you can say, I'm not where I should be, but I'm not who I was. 
I can do that too. I can look back at 1992 and think of a day in that August year, in the year in that August month when, when I was no longer who I was before. I was changed. I'm so not finished. I'm such a mess. But he's my dad now. I'm in the room with my dad being a mess as opposed to being outside the home, a stranger to someone I don't know on the outside looking in. So we remember and proclaim that we're new. Our heart is no longer deaf to God. Our hearts are no longer dead to God. And that is the new covenant, brothers and sisters, that Jesus proclaims that we would remember today. Like a marriage covenant where two become one, we remember this new covenant of oneness with God. We remember and proclaim we're in him now. He is in us now. We we remember that we draw our life no longer from ourselves. We remember that he has put a new spirit in us, his very spirit, and we draw our life from that spirit. And we draw our life from that spirit by depending on that spirit, by expecting him to do good to us, expecting him to keep his promises to us. You can go through your day forgetting him. But if you're in him, he's not going away from you. And he is not forgetting you. And so he says, remember the new covenant. Through your day, remember the new covenant. I'm in you. Call out to me. Depend on me. For every need, as Holly said, every need. Oh, I need to hear that. I catch myself, the minutes moving into hours, and sometimes the hours moving into days, forgetting to go to my Father, forgetting the throne of grace and mercy that I need throughout my day. It doesn't matter if I think he can help this time, but, he, he, but this one's too hard for him to help. I do that. I do that kind of insane math. God can help me with Matthew at dinner when I'm starting to feel really tempted to be anxious. But if I've got three hours of anxiety and another thing and another thing, well now it's, I can't go to him. I can't go to him. This one's too hard for him. That's insanity. He says, no, remember the new covenant. I'm committed to you forever. It's me in you. God Almighty. How could you be so foolish to think that I, God Almighty, can't help with this or this or this? Well, 
I can help you keep your calm if you're missing a song slide and worship morning. But your addiction, it's too big for me. No, God says the new covenant is God Almighty for you, in you, to help you. He's God Almighty. And so Jesus says, remember and proclaim to yourself the new covenant because your growth, your joy depends on you remembering and proclaiming the new covenant and not telling God, you're not here. You can't help. Oh, he says, don't do that. That's a dead end. No, remember. Remember and proclaim. Because like so much of our whole spiritual life, this you know what he's telling us to do when he says remember and proclaim? It's another way of Jesus saying, really believe this. Actively believe this. Everything that we get from God comes through faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to grow. Without faith, it's impossible to, to survive. We've got to keep remembering and proclaiming. So Jesus says, do this. Remember and proclaim. We remember and proclaim that it is Christ alone in whom we find our nourishment. That it is Christ alone in whom we find our strength to live for God. He is our covenant partner. He is our precious husband redeemer. My dad was my mom's husband. My dad was my father. He had a lot of goods and bads like all of our dads. Something that was so crucial to my father at the core, at the foundation of who he was something that would break his heart if he struggled to do it and, and, and gave him a sense of shalom, contentment when he could do it. And you know what that was? It was provide. My father used to say to us as kids, there will always be a noodle on the table. It's like, hallelujah, we'll get that noodle. I mean, in my mind, it was one macaroni noodle. It's like, what is that going to mean? But what he meant was, I am going to lay my life down to provide for you. I remember my dad lost his job in 1981 and it just undid him. And it made him very anxious, as you could imagine. Because it was, it was attacking that core, fundamental identity he had to provide. And yes, men, we can get lost in our identities. But there's something right every husband and father knows. He's called to provide because you're made in God's image and he's a provider. Your husband, redeemer, provides for you what you need spiritually. He provides for you. He provides everything for you. So Jesus says, listen to that word. We can just run by it. He says, this is my body which is for you. This is my blood poured out for you. He is for you. He gives himself for you. And finally, we read and remember and proclaim his death until he comes. Jesus promised he would only drink again from the fruit of the vine at his glorious return. Matthew 26, 28 through 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He's waiting. 
to drink of the vine again until he comes back. In Revelation 19, we see a picture of that day. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. This is John the Apostle, who was there that very night. Decades later, writing these words through the prophetic vision he saw, and he says, the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a phrase in like theology that I just love. We've talked about it sometimes. It's this phrase, already not yet. It's this idea that we live in the already not yet. If you read Romans 8, right in the middle, you'll see a ton of already not yet. Paul talks about groaning, waiting. He says we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the first installment of the new covenant. We have the Spirit inside us. But then he says, this spirit is living inside people who will die, who still battle with sin in a universe that's still broken. And so he says, the result of that tension, of that having some of God right now, but yet wanting so much more that's not yet complete, he says, the result of that is groaning. We groan. We groan. I was groaning this morning. As Jared was saying, things were going wrong on stage and I was getting anxious. And I was groaning because of the futility of my memory and my capacity and mistakes that I had made. And I was groaning because I could tell that I knew deep in my heart, none of that mattered that much. Like, I could tell I was worrying about stuff that wasn't the stuff to really be concerned about. Like, as if God is impressed with our musical perfection. I mean, yes, let's not be disordered and confusing. But is he gone because I, we, we don't have the right slides? Like, and I could see my heart is, oh man, he's here. He's here. I got to trust that. But it's hard. It's a battle. And I groan because it's such a fight sometimes to believe him and to rest in him. I groan. I want to perfectly believe. But there's nothing perfect in me except him. But he's your perfection. He wants you to know he's your perfection. Every day you will do some good things. Every day, you will do some bad things. And every day, you will long deep in your heart for perfection. You will wish you were better. You will wish your situation was better. And there's something of the image of God in that. Yes, we take it, we mangle it, we, we shoot for the wrong things. But in all your imperfections, in all my imperfections, he says, I'm your perfection. Rest in that. I think it was John Bloom who wrote an article this week I read on perfectionism. He said something along the lines of, because Christ is our perfection, 
we can imperfectly battle our sin. I love that. Because Christ is our perfection, we can imperfectly battle our sin. God isn't inviting you to be a slacker, but God is also not chaining you into a prison of being perfect in everything you do, including how you treat him and other people. Christ is your perfection today. And when you lift up the bread and you drink the, the juice, you're proclaiming the new covenant of the one who says, I am your perfection. And we're going to keep proclaiming it until the day when that perfection will be absolutely complete. There won't be one iota of sin, resistance in us. It will just be finished. That day is going to be incredible. We're going to find what we've been looking for our whole lives. Fully find it, complete in us. And, and I, if I describe it to you in some sort of circumstantial perfection, like new agey, like you're going to be, it's all going to be peace and flowers and, and perfect health and there will be rainbows everywhere and... Yes, no more tears. Yes, no more sickness. Yes, no more dying. But don't you know deep in your heart that the perfection you want is that perfect intimacy with your God? That that's what you were made for? No more experience of estrangement. That day is coming, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's talking about a supper that hasn't happened yet. A meeting between you and God that hasn't happened yet. You have his Holy Spirit, but this hasn't happened yet. There's a marriage supper coming that will complete the perfection he's begun in you. It will for lack of a better way to put it, it will blow our minds in its beauty and its healing power and its glory when your Savior will fully complete your salvation and you will be perfectly in Him. That day is coming. It has not come yet. And He says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Today, when you take that bread and you take that juice, you are holding in your hands your invitation to that marriage supper. You will put it in your mouth. You will take it into your body. The sign of your Savior's body broken and blood poured out for you is your invitation to that day that's still coming. Blessed are you because you are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what we remember and we proclaim. Finally, as we prepare to drink and eat, And I should have said this before, but I should ask the ushers to begin to pass out the juice and the bread. 
there is, there is one more thing to do before we eat and we drink. In 1 Corinthians 10, 14, and 17, Paul says this to the church in Corinth. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless. He's talking about communion. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We are all together participating in the body and blood of Christ. I don't understand everything that he means by this, but I know of some things he must mean. I think he's saying we're remembering and proclaiming something that's real about us. In a special way, We're coming very near to the body and blood of our Lord. And I'm not talking about theories of transubstantiation or what the bread and the juice are. I'm simply saying that this is a holy thing that we're doing. That God takes this very seriously. He means for you to be deeply nourished by it. Spiritually. And so, I would just ask you, if, if you are not trusting Jesus as your Savior today, if you've not become a Christian, if you've not put your faith in Him to save you from your sins, you aren't a participant in the blood and the body of Christ. So He would say, don't take and don't eat. It won't be good for you. And it won't please God. But for those of us who are Christians, Paul also says, don't eat and drink this cup in an unworthy manner. And I want to explain for a moment what he, what he means about that. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul's warning us against eating the, drink, the, the, the bread and drinking the cup in a dishonorable way, in a way he calls unworthy. He doesn't mean perfection, right? That's why we have the cross, because we're not perfect. He means you're holding on to sin in such a way that you're not willing to deal with God about it. You're not willing to come to him and say, Lord, help. This isn't right. Help me. Help me. Forgive me. Help me get over this. And so he says, as we reach a crescendo of our remembering and proclaiming, Paul would say, examine yourselves. Let a person examine himself and that way eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He's saying, take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and bring any sin on your conscience to God for forgiveness. You're not to make yourself perfect any more than the day that God saved you. Otherwise, you wouldn't need Jesus. But not, let there not be unconfessed sin. If you're battling with something, bring it to the Lord. Say, Lord, forgive me for this again. Help me give this to you. I want to be open and transparent with you, Lord. 
And remember his promise in 1 John 1. If we confess, that means agree with him about our sins. He is always faithful to forgive us. For Jesus has already paid for that sin. So take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart, to bring anything to him right now in the way of sin that you need to confess to him and ask him for his help for. Lord, thank you that we can be honest and open before you. You aren't looking for us to be perfect because Jesus is our perfection, but you are asking us to be honest with you and to come to you for the grace and mercy we need to help us. And I pray, Lord, your gentleness would be heavy here, that you wouldn't allow the enemy to accuse or overburden consciences. But we would remember David's word when he says in Psalm 19, who can discern his error? Who can really know their heart? Forgive my hidden fault, as well as keep your servant from willful sins. Forgive my hidden fault. And so we trust God that we don't see perfectly. And you can forgive what we don't see as well as what we do see. So we bring to you what we can and what we cannot see. We must trust our Savior's blood for just as much as what we can see. And now, Lord, Holy Spirit of Jesus, fill our hearts again as we have this foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb. As we renew our vows, our marriage vows with you in this moment, Lord God. We receive your husbanding love for us, your commitment to us. Let this bread and this juice become more than just bread and juice to our hearts, even if that is what they are in the world of physics, God. Let them be to our hearts. Spiritual nourishment. And the real remembering and proclaiming to ourselves, you really poured out your blood for us. You really broke your body for us. You really paid it all. And it really is finished. Give us joy in eating and drinking. The joy of our salvation. And now, brothers and sisters, let us remember and proclaim the Lord's death together. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way, he took the cup and after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink this cup of the new covenant in his blood poured out for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Hallelujah. Paid in full. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Your husband, Redeemer, comes near to you now and he says, I am yours and you are mine. How good it is to be covenant people, to be new covenant people. 